the Lord. Our scripture reading for this morning is coming from the book of Malachi, chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 12 to 14. Again, that's Malachi, chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this is what you bring as an offering? Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is blessed. Uh, before we begin, let's just have a moment of prayer. I've kind of really convicted that it's necessary for these passages. Father God, just uh, be with the message today. Please make sure that your word is magnified and glorified, that you are magnified and glorified in this, and not any man, but that we are able to see you in these passages. We're able to see what your ordinances are. We're able to see what you desire from us, God. Uh, please help us to confess you with not only our tongues, but also our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. An interesting section we're at in Malachi. We're about the middle of the second disputation uh, that is here. John will, John Weathersby will be the one that will be cleaning that up um, in the next two weeks. We should be getting through that to clear up that the the full scope of this disputation. Uh, we came off of last week. Uh, the message was one where. Uh, the actions of the priests were confessing what they believed in their heart. Their actions had consequences. Uh, their actions showed what they truly believed. And we are continuing on that theme, but in a different, uh, in a different manner here as we come to verses 12, 13, and 14. We know that what the mouth speaks, or the mouth speaks out of which, of that which fills the heart. What comes out of our uh, what comes out of our mouth is what is filling our hearts up here. We also know that the, there is a difference between true and false worship. We saw some of that last week. We're going to see quite a bit more here because the title of this message is Worthless Worship. We know that not only is God's name great, but it is the name above all other names. There is no other name above God's name. 
There is nothing beyond who God is. Uh, God is the only being that is worthy of any worship. The triune God is the only thing that should be worshipped. The only being that should be worshipped. We know of the holiness of the name of the Lord to the Jewish people when they had the Tetragrammaton, which is, uh, we, we show it in, with, the, uh, with the Y-H-W-H, Yahweh is how we would pronounce it. They wouldn't even pronounce that. They would have the, it would be uh, in the Hebrew letters from right to left, it would be the Yod, the He, the Vav, and the He is what it was. Uh, they would take, they would, they would keep that unpronounced because the name was so holy. Then underneath it, they would have the vowel pointing that would be underneath those letters that would be the vowel pointing for the term Adonai, which means Lord. So every time they saw what we see as Yahweh, they would say the Lord. We have that translated in our scripture because the Lord's name was so holy that we we couldn't even, we, we didn't even want to say it for accidentally not being holy enough to do so. We don't want to sully the Lord's name. We don't want to disparage the Lord. So we're not even going to, we're going to see it when we see that we're just going to say the Lord instead of Yahweh. That's how they would treat the name or how they, they thought they should treat the name. The Lord himself didn't require that of them, but he did require that they recognize his name as holy. We would see in the prayer that is given by our Lord that we refer to as the Lord's prayer. That is the Lord's name is to be hallowed. To be seen as holy, to be recognized as holy, to be seen, to be reverent, uh, to be uh, to to be treated with reverence. Okay, that's how important his name is. How we view that name, what is in a name? How we view the name of the Lord shows how we view him. How we see the Lord, how we see the God of all creation. The worship that we are to give is to is to be worshipped towards is worship towards the one that saves us, the one that saved us when we are we have no ability to save ourselves when we were unsavable, when there was nothing within us that said that we should be saved. Yet he saved us, so that puts us that, that puts us in the right form of worship. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, would know that because there was nothing of value of them. They were told this when they were saved out of slavery to the Egyptians. It wasn't because of them that they were saved. It was because of God that they were saved. Trying to put God in right relationship. The name of the Lord in right relationship there. Not to treat God's name as worthless and unworthy. Not to treat the Lord's name in vain, which would be to treat it as worthless and unworthy. But to fully to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we can start, and we'll just look at a couple New Testament passages before we even dive into Malachi. Look at Philippians 3. These will help to anchor us for ourselves. Look at Philippians 3.3 3 to start with. Philippians 3.3, 3, for, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Again, we who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Turn backwards a little and go to Ephesians 2, verse 18. 
For through him we have both our, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. We are able to worship the Lord correctly because of Jesus. Because we have been given the spirit of truth within us. And then let's look finally at John chapter 4, verse 24. And remember, the title is Worthless Worship. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We even know from John 17 that Jesus prays that, that they would be sanctified in truth, that the believers would be sanctified in truth. Father, your word is truth. So, this is where we kind of start off. We, we do that in those, those terms of the New Testament because we are believers in Christ. Jesus has not yet come when the prophet Malachi uh, is giving this word of the Lord. We want to anchor ourselves in who Jesus is, who to appropriately, when we think about our own worship, because as we examine the worship of the nation of Israel, and specifically what the priests are doing here, uh, we, we want to see it from our viewpoint, and we want to do a comparison. How are we doing? We want to do a heart check upon ourselves. We want to make sure that our sacrifice, we spoke last week, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we, uh, we come as a sacrifice. Our lives are a sacrifice to the Lord. That we are renewing our minds, right? We are, we are, looking, uh, we are looking to renew our minds, to, to continue to grow in their knowledge of our Lord and Savior as believers. So in Malachi chapter 1, verse 12. But you are profaning it. The it is the name of the Lord. You are profaning the Lord's name. You are... The, the actions that you are doing as you come into the temple, as you, you bring these sacrifices that are blemished, that are not the firstborn males, that are not acceptable via the Levitical law that we talked about, as you bring these sacrifices in, as you place them upon the table and kill them and slaughter them, not acceptable for the Lord, you are, you are defaming my name. The one who has saved you, you are defaming me. This is a direct action against me. You are polluting the name of the Lord. You are defiling the name of the Lord. You are desecrating the name of the Lord. You are abusing the name of the Lord by your actions. This act of worship that you are doing, this sacrifice that you are giving, is supposed to be one that honors me, but in turn because you are accepting polluted, defiled animals, you are accepting them from the people and telling the people that that's okay to bring your second, third, fourth best up, that the Lord will accept that, and by you accepting them, you're telling them that's okay, and you're saying it's okay because you do it. The ones that are supposed to be protecting and making sure that the name of the Lord is lifted up and glorified are in turn defiling the name of the Lord and trampling upon God Himself. They are treating the Lord worse than they would earthly rulers. It says there, you are profaning my name, abusing my name. No reverence is given to my name by the actions that you're doing. What is coming out of your heart is being displayed in these actions that you're doing. 
you're violating the holy ground of the temple. You're treating me as if I don't even exist. The lack of respect is leaving them on or guiding them towards the rocky shoals that will shipwreck them. That will kill them. Hebrews 2.1 tells us this. We go to Hebrews. Hebrews is a, just a phenomenal book, especially if you want to see the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament uh, because it is so steeped in, in, in Old Testament there. But, but, but think about this. We want to turn it to ourselves too in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. That's for us. But these priests are certainly drifting away by accepting these sacrifices, by teaching, the, teaching their congregation, by teaching the nation of what is acceptable, drifting away from it. You see so great of a salvation is available, and yet you're just letting it pass you by. You're not even reaching a hand out towards it. You're just saying, whatever. We're going through the motions. We're doing a form of worship, but isn't worship itself. This nation who has been saved out of Egyptian slavery, 400 years of slavery, we know that if a person nowadays is in 10 years of slavery, that it has an unbelievable amount of lifetime effect on them. So imagine a whole nation, a culture of people that's been in slavery for 400 years. They have been rescued out of that. They have seen the column of smoke and the pillar of fire. They have seen the Red Sea parted. They have seen the manna given in the quail that is deep as their waist. They have been protected. They have seen clothing that has not worn out for 40 years. And yet knowing all this, that they are now treating the Lord with great disrespect. And not only are they doing it now, but they've done it before. It's what led to their captivity in Babylon. When they would chase after other gods, the adultery that they do towards God, you know, God being their only husband, as the Scripture would say, that they would chase after the foreign gods, the gods of, 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 of the, the foreign wives that they take, and say there's many avenues we could go down there. I don't have enough time uh, to do that. But, but they were given away to Babylon captivity so that the Lord would save them again and show them that He is a great and a powerful Lord. Right, That who He is is the true and faithful Lord. And they were brought out of that captivity again. The temple was rebuilt about 450, 460 B.C. They are sacrificing again. And yet, here we go right down the pathway one more time. Letting it drift away the knowledge of the Lord. Letting His name be sullied. And in turn, not only teaching the people that it's okay to disrespect the name of the Lord, but teaching others outside of the nation that it's okay to disrespect the name of the Lord. Does he even care? The priest's job, who it is to protect the name, are not doing their job. The priest's job to, to have their hearts changed by what they're doing, are not doing their job. 
like Eli's sons we spoke about last week. Not even believing in the not even believing in the war, but just some form of priestliness that they're doing with no heart change. They should have been pro- proclaiming the great and worthy name of the Lord. They should have been rejecting those sacrifices that were brought that were that were blemished. They should have been sending them away. It is better not to give a sacrifice than it is to give a blemished sacrifice. But instead, they're treating the Lord's name as trash. Their mouths are confessing what their hearts truly believe. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I might have Deuteronomy up there too, but we're we're not going to go there. Uh, It's just a restatement of Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, we're now at the, we're at the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. And it says this, that, now remember, the Lord has given these commandments after He has saved them. The commandments are given after the Lord has saved them. And it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we'll stop there for a moment. You shall not treat the name of the Lord as worthless. You should not treat the name of the Lord as nothingness. You should not treat the name of the Lord as trash. You need to recognize who I am by what I have done and what I will continue to do. He says, For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Who He will not leave unpunished those who treat the Lord's name as unworthy. And this is not in my notes, but it is a warning to all those who don't believe in God. They will be held accountable for not believing in God. It is their decision. Right? The priests know this. They know the Scripture. They know what is given there. And their hearts are rotten. They know better. They've been given the instruction. You see, if the Lord gives an ordinance for them to follow, it is by definition the best thing for them to do. It isn't casual. It isn't if you feel like it. It isn't if it's convenient. It is given because it is for their good to do. And they're choosing not to do it. It says there back in Malachi chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But you're profaning it, profaning the Lord's name, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. Their actions are showing what they believe about the Lord. Their their manner of worship is showing that the Lord is unworthy of worship. What they are bringing to that table, what they are bringing when they take that, that... that blemished animal up upon the table to slaughter it, to kill it. Remember, without blood, there is no remission of sin. Inadvertently, we're saying that our sin isn't that great because we're taking blemished animals up there. right? When the idea is, is that you're to bring the best of the animals because your sin is so great. Your sin is, your sin is damning you. You need to take the best up here because... To only have that remission of sin, you must give the best. And God will do that through His Son. 
These are all shadows of what is to come. We know that there's no forgiveness of sin without the blood. We see it first in Genesis at the end of Genesis chapter 3. When the animal skins are given as coverings for Adam and Eve. But they are treating the Lord's name as empty, as meaningless, as nothing, as worthless. And they'll have to give an account for it. As will we when we do such things. Now, if we are found in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, thanks be to God, but for God, right? The conjunctions in the Bible are phenomenal. But God, while we were yet sinners, gave His Son for us. Right? But, but God, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This table, this holy table in the holy place, uh, outside of the Holy of Holies, this holy table in this holy place that is the representation, the shadow of the true temple in heaven itself, that representation is being besmirched, is being covered itself with refuse, is being treated as trash, is being treated as unimportant by the actions of the priest. They are bringing worthless worship to God. There is no holiness. They are treating God as a non-entity. Their actions are confessing what they believe in their hearts. They are called to hallow the name of God. Yet in turn, they're basically just tossing it into the trash. It means nothing to us by what we're doing. Turn with me to Psalm 29.2. Psalm 29.2. As Martin Luther said, the Psalms are the little Bible. The entirety of Christian life can be found within the Psalms. The Psalms also give us uh, places for that we can see the correct worship of God. Roy was covering that this morning. Uh, the correct object, uh, how we are to pray. All sorts of things contained in the Psalms. The holy inspired word of God, right? The inerrant infallible word of God found in the Psalms. So that when we... When we speak the Psalms, we can pray the Psalms back to God. Praying His Word back to Him is an act of worship. When we look at Psalm 29.2, what does it say? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Right now in heaven, there are divine creatures, angels, that are, that are surrounding the throne of God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Constantly. Yet we have this defiled priestly sacrifice that is given that is saying, eh, bring whatever. Bring your blind, bring your lame as we'll see. Bring it here. Now turn to, and this is just two places in the, script, in the Psalms itself. You can go to many places. You can almost just open them randomly and just put your finger down and you will find things that tell us about Worshiping the Lord and worshiping the Lord's name. But turn to Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Key here, tremble before Him all the earth. 
tremble before the Lord, all the earth. Does this give us a picture of God that is accepting of anything that comes to Him? Or a God that has set forth the way we are to worship Him? Because I can guarantee you, when we stand before that judgment seat, uh, we will not be standing. Everyone will be on their knees before that seat to give an account for their lives. My prayer is that you are found in Christ Jesus. Because that way, that our judge who sits behind the bench, our judge is our best friend, Jesus, who has taken the punishment for us. But woe be to those who are not found in Christ. Because they will have to give that answer for not finding the Lord's name holy. For not acknowledging what Christ did, what God has done, what the triune God has done in the manner of salvation. Now turn with me to Ecclesiastes 5. So you're going to turn two books past, past Psalms there. Ecclesiastes 5, 2. And think about these words. Remember, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. So we can learn from this. It says, Ecclesiastes 5.2, Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. These priests would know this. They would know we are not just to bring anything before the Lord, that we are supposed to think before we bring before the Lord, that we are supposed to consider our hearts before we come before the Lord, to consider those offerings we bring before the Lord, yet they're not doing it. They are not considering the states of their soul, the nephish as it is in in, in Hebrew, the body and soul together, there is no separation of body and soul. For God, remember when we pass from this life to the next, that when there is a new heaven and new earth, we get a new body. The body and the soul are, are, are part and one together. There is no separation of that. But for them to go before the Lord, to go before with, 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 with unregulated sacrifice, with incorrect sacrifice, is putting themselves in danger before God. Putting the nation in danger before God. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Think about that with ourselves, with our own state, as we consider these words of God. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He's talking to Pharisees, people that should know better. Just like the prophet Malachi is giving information that the priest should know better. Look at these Pharisees in twelve in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. What does he say? You know these words. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. For ourselves, we are not bringing lambs to the altar to be slaughtered one time a year. We are not bringing goats to the altar. We are not bringing an unblemished male to the altar to be slaughtered for our sins. It's been done through Christ. The only unblemished one, the only good person, the only righteous Savior, the only one who lived a life that we could not live and then died a death we could not die. That's who we have. 
Our worship then, our sacrifice at the altar is our confession of our mouths. Which is the ultimate confession of our state of our hearts. We must always keep that in mind so that we are not considered a brood of vipers. So that we are confessing to our heart that we, the Savior is the one who died for us. That we are not bringing through our confession that, that blind or lame male to the altar. That we are bringing the contrite heart that we have to our altar. That we are unworthy of the salvation that we have been given through no work of our own. How are we treating the name of the Lord then? Are we seeing it as righteous and holy? Or are we just treating it as whatever? Are we throwing it as, my grandfather would say, file 13? Or the circular file, just treating it as trash? Is our worship worthy? Or is it worth less? Or we could separate those words and say, is our worship worth less than anything? Verse 13 of Malachi. So keep your thumb or your finger on verse 13 of Malachi and to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. My desire was to read all of eight, but it is a pretty long chapter uh, for the time frame that we have. So we're going to dive in on verses 11 through 14. That should kind of vector us in uh, on words, uh, on things that the priests would know. Uh, it's a restatement of remembering God. Let's keep that up there. Remembering what God has done. We're going to keep that in our forefront as we read that. And... We want to keep the priests that are bringing, uh, that are accepting uh, unacceptable offerings to the altar of sacrifice, to the sacrificial table. And it says in verse 11 of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Remember, if it's from God, if it's an ordinance from God, it is ultimately the best for the people. If God commands it, it is the best for you. There is nothing better than what God commands of you. There is nothing better for your nephesh, your soul, than that. Twelve, otherwise, if you don't do these things, otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, otherwise, so he said, do these, remember and do not forget, do these things. But if you don't do these things, and you are satisfied with what you're eating, eating and you have good homes, and you've lived in them, and it says, and when your herds and your flocks multiply in your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery we talked about this in Sunday school class today about pride look at how the Lord warns them you will look at all the things you have. If you forget the ordinances and the things that I've given you and the things that I have done, then you will think that you did it. 
You will think that that house you live on Maple Street is from your own ability. You will think that that job you have that pays you for that house is from you and your ability and not as a gift of the Lord. And you will start treating the name of the Lord as trash. You will not even give consideration to the name of the Lord for all that has been given to you. Your worship will be worth less than pretty much anything. Because our worship is the only thing we can bring to the Lord, right? If it has been ordained by God, it is good for us. It is the best for us if it is ordained by God. Turn back to Malachi. And I do appreciate your patience with going through the Scripture, but man, the days. It is better to hear God's Word than my words. The best I can do is try to explain the words. right? Because there is some distance between time and culture that we have. But to hear God's word, it is through uh, uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. it is through the preached word that God, the foolishness of the preached word, that God has chosen to save man. And what you get when John and I are up here, when you get in the Sunday school class, is, is the study, is the outpouring of the study that we've done. We don't approach it as to, I need to teach this, We approach the Scripture as, what am I learning from the Scripture? And then I'm teaching it. You know, it's that outflow of what you get from God's Word. And and that's why I prayed beforehand that God's Word would be clear here. That it's not just priests that we're talking about way back then, but we're also talking about our worship here today. We're talking about our hearts here today. We're talking about how we treat the name of the Lord today. How we treat His being today. We don't want to be like Eli's sons who who truly defamed the Lord by their actions at the temple. by, By laying with prostitutes at the temple. We want to ensure through what we do that the name of the Lord remains holy in all that we do. And that when we make mistakes that we ask for forgiveness and we're repentant in what we do. So verse 13 of Malachi chapter 1, it says, You also say how tiresome it is. How wearisome it is. How this wears us out bringing these offerings for you, God. How this slaughtering of animals is, is so much work for us. That, 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 is, that, that we are wearied by doing this thing day after day, whenever we have to do it. it. It wears us out, God. We just don't have the energy for it. For you, God, you that has given us salvation, who has saved us out of slavery multiple times, oh, we just don't have time for it. It's so tiresome for us. And you disdainfully sniff at it. You look, now think about this for a second. They are not only doing it improperly, but even while they're doing it, they're looking at it and they know it's unacceptable because it says they sneer at it. They sniff at it. They disrespect it. They know it's unacceptable before the Lord, yet they continue to do it. How should they be treated for this? The fact that they haven't been struck down by by the strange fire that they're offering, like Aaron's sons, the fact that they haven't been struck down yet shows how gracious the Lord is. How gracious of a God He is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And you bring what was taken by robbery, what is lame or sick, you bring the offering. Should I receive it from your hand, says the Lord, when you yourself sneer at it? How should a righteous and a holy God, the only righteous and holy triune God, how should He accept this thing? How should He take it? How should they even expect that He takes this offering from them? This worthless worship that they are bringing. They shouldn't even be approaching the table with this offering. They know better. They we saw in Deuteronomy, if you forget these things that I have done, this is what you will do. Oh, we have brought ourselves out of captivity. We have rebuilt the temple ourselves. These sacrifices are by our hand and for our the result for us. They are doing a form of religion. They are going through the motions of religion. They are doing activity and thinking that it makes them right before the Lord. Form cannot replace heart worship. Form will never replace a contrite, humble heart before the Lord. Bowing down and prostrating yourself before the Lord without a changed heart still leaves you in a damned state. It means nothing. Bowing down before idols means nothing. Bowing down before the true God without any heart change means nothing. We see this example of, of, of heart change. Uh, Second Chronicles. How often do we go there? Second Chronicles chapter 30. Verse 18. So you're going to flip back before Psalms, before Nehemiah, Ezra. Second Chronicles, verse 30. It's under the heading in my Scripture as the Passover reinstated. Remember, we're talking about the difference between worthy worship and worthless worship. And, I, and uh, you can listen to the... Uh, to the Sunday school class too online, which was great because we talked about these things themselves today also. But look at verse 18 of chapter 30 of Second Chronicles. It says there, So for a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulon, had not purified themselves. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. So look, they're not, they're not, going through the right motions. But there's something interesting buried here. They, they, they weren't purified, yet they ate the Passover. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares, what? His heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So now think about this. The Lord is gracious in all that He does. The Lord is gracious that we are here alive to be able to hear His Word. The Lord is gracious that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And look at this. The people approached with the 
wrong sacrifice, but with the right heart. Their form was incorrect, but their heart was correct. You see, with the Lord, it's about the heart. It's about that change. The one, the, the, the hearts that's changed, that's changed. The problem with the priest in Malachi is the heart is not changed. Not only is the heart not changed, but they're also bringing wrong, they're, they're bringing wrong sacrifice too. You see, the sacrifice that they're bringing is not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not something that they, they, they have on their keychain for the temple you know, to open up the doors. It says, you're right before the Lord. God does not desire the, the blood of bulls and goats. He, what He desires is a changed heart. And when you have the sacrifice with the changed heart, then you have a true worship experience for Him that is truly placing God at the right, at the apex where He should be at. When your prostration is right before the Lord. When your heart is contrite and humble before the Lord. In Chronicles, they have brought worthy worship even though their form was incorrect. In Malachi, they're bringing worthless worship that the Lord will not even accept. They're bringing worship that they themselves are sneering at. So we can say to ourselves, when we pass from this life, when we are before the judgment seat itself, will we be able to stand there with a knowing that our heart was humbled by the Lord our Savior, or will we only be able to point to our church attendance and say, well, I came to church, Lord. I walked through the doors every other Sunday or every third Sunday or every Sunday every other month. Sneering at the Lord. Raising our nose at the Lord. And saying, you weren't even worthy of the little time that I've asked for you to worship me. Notice that he doesn't ask us to, to come to worship every day. He says, one day, a week, come and do this thing. To acknowledge who I am so that you don't forget all that I've done. So that you don't think that that house and that car and that job is from you. So you remember it is from me, from my glory, to glorify me. So will our worship be seen as worthy or worth less? That's the question. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. One thing that we kind of miss, that we probably miss many times, is this sacrificial system is alien to us. We don't see it. We've never seen it unless you've gone to some other country and have witnessed it. But you haven't seen it like they have seen it. What we have to understand is that when the Lord enacts the sacrificial system that, that the, they are to bring these unblemished animals for the, the sacrifice, for this particular sacrifice, and a male, I'm going to address this shortly, about the male on that, is that it is much less burdensome than any of the other sacrificial systems of any of the other pagan gods that people worshipped in that area. 
When you compare what the Lord required of the nation of Israel compared to, say, what the Babylonians required, it is unbelievable how much less the Lord requires. It's shockingly less than what the other false gods were required to to sacrifice. And we're not even getting into child sacrifice that is there. And when the Lord says an unblemished male, get this, He's even being unburdensome, a light yoke, at that point in time, because the male was not the most valuable member of the flock. It was the females that were the most valuable members of the flock. Because the the females were required to grow the flock and to nurse the flock along. You only needed a couple males to do that. So it it would be more burdensome to bring a female than it would be to bring a male. And God says, bring the male unblemished. That's all I ask of you. I don't say bring every male. Just bring one for this. And they're not doing it. The yoke that the Lord has given is easy. His burden is light. We know that from Jesus. That He is the one who saves. I want you to think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. If we recall this story, I'm not going to read it. If we recall the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they sold a piece of land. They promised to give it to the church, the fledgling church that was growing there, and then they only gave half. And then they were, Ananias first was called out on her. His wife wasn't there. And he falsely claimed that he had given the full amount when in reality he only gave half and he was struck dead. And then a few hours later, after they buried the husband, she shows up. They ask her the same question. She lies too. And she is struck dead. Now I want you to notice a couple things here. We have said in Malachi that they have promised one thing and given another. Ananias and Sapphira have promised one thing and given another. They weren't required to sell the land and give the proceeds. They weren't required to sell the land and give all the proceeds. They they weren't required to give half the proceeds. They weren't required to even sell the land and give it to the church. But what they did is they vowed it. And they said we were going to do this, and then they did another thing. And then they were punished for it because of a fledgling church like that. You can't have rampant sin running around. You can't be acceptable of promised sacrifice but blemished animals being given is essentially what they did. They promised one thing and gave another. This is what the priests in Malachi are doing. They promised one thing and they're giving another. And they're being called out on it. And the result is this. At the end of that that last verse of 14, 14b we'll call it, it says, my name will be feared among the nations. Guess what? Because you are treating my name as trash, I will be feared by the Gentiles. There is a time that's coming that that Gentile believers will be brought brought into the flock. That they are the sheep from a far fold that is out there on vast hills. 
You don't think this can happen, but I can save who I desire to save. And I will save those of a pagan world. And they will see My name is great and holy. Guess what? That's where we fall. We fall into that great Gentile nation of believers. Those ones who He is prophesying about. He said, My name will be feared among those nations. All those who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, regardless of the creed or color of your skin or where you were born at, will be those that are counted as feared. The ones who feared the the Lord. The one who treated the Lord's name as right and holy and to be hallowed. The ones who have given the sacrifice of the contrite heart, of the of the, the pride being killed in the heart, that I can't work for my salvation, that it is Jesus alone who does that for me. Then my worship is seen as worthy, not worth less. We must ask the questions is our worship in form only? Do we confess Jesus truly? Do we know Him as Lord and Savior truly? Or He is just some great teacher or somebody I think I must say His name about but not truly believe in? Are we just going through the motions? Are we Christians in name only? Are our lives just an empty shell with a hollow heart? Or a hardened heart? Is our attendance in church for worship just ceremony? Or are we just going through those motions coming in here? Singing songs without even considering the Lord who bought us with His blood. Do we sniff, sneer at the cross by our actions? Are we in our attendance bringing lame and blind animals into the Lord before the Lord? Or are more and more are our thoughts being consumed by our Lord and Savior? Do we consider the Lord during the week? Do we consider God's Word? Do we long long to be free of sin? Or do we still allow the attractions of the world to grab us and keep us in bondage? Do we confess Jesus as our only Lord and Savior? 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. Is our worship worthy or worthless? These, these words in 2 Timothy, ah, man, they're just so, the words are just so tough. 3, verse 5. Second Timothy 3, verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness... Although they have denied its power, avoid such men as this, is it merely a form of godliness? Are we truly seeking to be sanctified by word and truth? By the words, Lord, which is truth? Are we seeking to know Him more? Are we praying about those hardened parts in our hearts that He would change it all? Are we looking to put to death sin in our lives? Are we working out our salvation with fear and trembling? Are our lives that living sacrifice that we are to give to Him? Are we bringing our thoughts under His view? 
Are we being that light in the world that we are supposed to be, not hiding it under a bushel? Do we know that eventually, from Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, that every knee will bow before the Lord? And man, I want to be that knee that bows, that knows Jesus as Lord. Not the one that denied Jesus was Lord. Not the one who treated the Lord's name in vain. I want to be the one that is weak and feeble and humble before the Lord and says, Jesus, it is all you. I could not do any of this myself. That we are welcomed in as sons and daughters of the God Most High. That's what we long to be. We don't want to be like those priests who brought blind and lame animals. We want to keep that heart. We want to make sure that heart is broken every day for the Lord and trust in what He does. Not to be chasing after the things of this world. Oh, we enjoy the things of this world. God has given them to us for pleasure. But they are not God's. It is There is only one God. And He is in heaven. And our Lord and our Savior sits at His right hand. And the Spirit dwells within us. And to let that Spirit consume us. So that we testify daily to what the Lord has done and how great He has been to me. Yet a sinner. Look at what He has done for me. Not by my actions, but by His alone. That we seek to worship Him in a worthy manner, not to be seen as worthless. That we come and sing these songs with joy because we know what our Savior has done. That we look at this Word as life-giving for us. That we know it more and more every day. That He consumes us. That He is that burning fire within us. That we know Him Jesus truly as our Lord and Savior, and that we seek every day to give our lives to Him as a worthy and a living sacrifice for Him. Let's pray. God, bury Your Word in our hearts. Bring it to us. Uh, Bring it to us as humble believers that, that we might be changed by it. That when we look at Your Word and we see difficult parts that we are not critical of it, but we ask, Lord, why is these? Why are these words here? What am I to learn from it? How am I to grow through this? Help me to understand what you've given to us. Let us more and more be that living sacrifice for you, Lord, to testify to the great Savior who, while we were yet sinners, you died for us, and that you are right now sitting on the throne, interceding for us. That are you bringing our prayers, our our, our sinful prayers, as a worthy and a holy. Uh, a holy uh, uh, burning incense before the Lord, God, that you would be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would stand and join us.